Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, August the 27th, 2023. It is currently 2.56 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. It's already been a busy day. I've spent two hours teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, chapter 24. Here in just a couple of hours, I'll be back in my car going back to Victory Baptist Church to teach on Jeremiah, chapter 25. Then when I come home, I'll take about an hour. Then I will be back live on the air teaching Jeremiah chapter 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, all the way to the end of the book over the next few days. It's going to be basically a Theology Central podcasting marathon as we try to finish the book of Jeremiah uh, by the end of August. So we, we've got a lot to do, but in the middle of all of that, well, we, we, we have to work on law and gospel. And even when we're working on the book of Jeremiah, we're still talking about law and gospel. So I do love when all of these different series kind of fit together. And one influences the other, because when you understand the proper distinction between law and gospel, what you're literally doing is you're giving yourself what I believe is a proper biblical hermeneutic, which then helps you understand passages that are law, 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 and you know how to interpret those passages, and you know how to avoid doing the wrong thing with those passages, but that means we have to continue to keep learning about the proper distinction between law and gospel, and that is what we're trying to do in this series that we are calling Understanding Law and Gospel. Now, the, the whole goal is to understand the proper distinction between the two. Now, we have done 100 episodes. This is 101. Now, the 100th episode I tried to make it something like, you know, dramatic, something special, but I mean, it it just, it's at the wrong time. I mean, the 100th episode just happened at the wrong time in the, in the series um, because it wasn't a transitional time. It wasn't, we're starting something new. It wasn't, it's just, we're kind of right in the middle of this, what we are referring to as law and gospel redo because we made it so far in this study. I felt like we kind of lost the plot. So we're kind of backing up, refreshing, reminding, and uh, reinforcing these ideas. And remember, we are utilizing the book, God's No and God's Yes, The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther. In this book, there's what, 25 theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We've currently made it to thesis number six. Thesis number six is, let me read it to you one more time. Thesis number six is, in the second place, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is not preached in its full sternness and the gospel not in its full sweetness. When, on the contrary, gospel elements are mingled with the law and law elements with the gospel. You do not want to mingle them and you do not want to in any way withhold something. When you're preaching the law, it's got to be the full sternness. And when it's the gospel, it's the full sweetness. Now, if you start preaching the gospel and it's full sweetness, it will only take about five seconds before someone accuse you of being an antinomian and she accuse you of preaching cheap grace and easy believism and will accuse you of a million other things. But that's okay. Let them accuse. Our job is to maintain a proper distinction between law and gospel and preach the gospel in its full sternness. 
and are the law in its full sternness and the gospel in its full sweetness. And we are not to compromise no matter what anyone may say or accuse us of. And remember, we're utilizing right now for this kind of redo section, we're utilizing the radio program Issues ETC, which is also a podcast. Please subscribe to it. They are also working on Issues ETC on a series on the proper distinction between law and gospel, and we're utilizing it. Now, it's a radio program, so they have lots of commercials, and in fact, long segments of commercials. In fact, I was just listening to one of their segments of commercials, and I was like, for crying out loud, can it stop? Okay, but we are, we are reviewing audio in between the commercials. Now, that makes these segments sometimes really short. And sometimes when I'm done doing this, I get a little frustrated. I'm like, man, they didn't really cover much in that segment. You know, it's kind of like, was that really even worth it? But, but it's worth it for this reason. You're hearing their perspective. You're hearing my perspective. You also are being pointed to the writings of CFW Walther. So you're being given multiple perspectives so that you can hear all of the Maybe the differences and agreements and disagreements and tension, but by trying to figure out what is the proper distinction between law and gospel, which will only make you more of an expert on this very important subject. So we have a new segment in front of us. It's not going to be very long because before you know it, they'll go to a commercial and then we're going to try. I would like to try to finish reviewing this particular episode of Issues ETC. I would like to finish this before I go to church. So we may do one segment and then end this episode, upload it, then do the next one, and then hopefully finish this review so that when I get home from church tonight, it can be Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. That's all we're going to do over the next couple of days. Every time you see me live, I'm going to be talking about the book of Jeremiah. So I hope you're ready for that. And I hope... um I hope somehow it will be beneficial uh, to you in some way, shape, or form. But before we get to a Jeremiah marathon, let's try to do at least as much work as we can on law and gospel to get us at a good pausing point until we can finish our Jeremiah study, and then we can come back to law and gospel. Are you ready? A lot going on here on the podcast. We produce lots of content. Hopefully, you find it beneficial and helpful. As always, if you find anything we do being helpful— If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Please go to theologycentral.net and post a review. Please leave positive comments on the Sermons 2.0 app or anywhere else. And of course, if you ever want to help support what we do financially, you can go to theologycentral.net and hit the donate tab or... On the Sermons 2.0 app or the Church One app, you can hit the Give tab. That money goes directly to Victory Baptist Church. And we greatly appreciate it because we spend a couple of hundred dollars, uh, well, about $200 a month uh, to bring you all of this content. So any help, we greatly appreciate it. All right, you ready? Okay, here we go. Long Gospel. We're going to finish this up. We're in thesis number six. They're going to deal with the objections Uh, that people sometimes offer to preaching the law in its full sternness. That seems to be what they're getting ready to talk about. I'm assuming this will go by relatively fast, but we'll see what we can gain from it. Here we go. There is a 
candle in the darkness, like a lone paschal candle lit before Easter sunrise. The light of Christ is burning, and the dawn of his resurrection is glowing on the horizon. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. An excerpt from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for June by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The book's called Take Courage, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times. Call Concordia Publishing House and order Take Courage, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. Even when they come out of commercials, then they have to do another commercial. It's like you cannot escape all of the commercials. It is crazy, but okay. All right, here we go. So if you want the book of the month, you heard where, where to call. All right, here we go. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's part six of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Walter does take up some of the objections. He says people might leave your church when they hear the law preached this way. Yeah. The conclusion that he wants them to draw is if this man is right, I am lost. Yeah. And he even takes up the objection that's not a proper way for Lutheran preachers to preach. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, right from the get-go, he says, some of some will say that's no way for an evangelical minister to preach. He says in response, it certainly is. He could not be an evangelical, that is a gospel preacher, if he did not preach the law thus. The law must precede the preaching of the gospel, otherwise the latter will have no effect. Okay, now this is where I differ with many of the proponents of the proper distinction between law and gospel, because I definitely believe in the proper distinction between law and gospel. But I do not take the proper distinction between law and gospel as some kind of template in how I am to preach. Here is what I think you should do. You open the Bible, and whatever your text is, you preach what the text says. If the text is law, you preach it in its full sternness. Now, yes, at some point, maybe you would like to tell people, hey, you cannot ultimately accomplish this, and you did do tell them that Christ is there, but you don't just like, well, I preach law, I have to preach gospel. If I preach gospel, I have to preach law. Preach, focus on preaching what the text is. That's the emphasis. Whatever the text is, I'm not going to impose a template upon the text. Whatever the text presents us. Now, sometimes the text is so law-heavy that you do feel like you have to offer some kind of hope and comfort. But it's also, I don't think it's, I don't think it's entirely wrong to leave the people in a sermon feeling like, well, what can I do? Who can be saved? Well, then I'm guilty and feel the weight and feel the conviction of the law. And then when they say, what do I do? We'll come back next week and then we'll see what the text presents. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's, I don't think that's completely wrong to do. Uh, I think it's, oh, uh, it's also okay to offer some comfort of the gospel just don't make this just some weird template that you're like, here's how I'm supposed to preach. No, preach the text. The text drives the sermon, not a template, not a, a method. 
The text drives the sermon. My job when I stand behind the pulpit, here's at least, now I know my philosophy on preaching is radically different than every other church probably in America, is we're, hey guys, you're here, we have a Bible, here's the text in front of us, we're going to work through this together, we're going to struggle, we're going to ask questions, we're going to, we may look things up, we're going to, and I'm, I'm trying to get everyone involved, and that we're all focused on figuring out the text, not just imposing an idea so that I can create a little speech or a little presentation. I'm not there for a speech or a presentation. At least for me, I want to learn the text. Before I became a a pastor and I went to church, I was always frustrated. I don't want just a nice little sermon. I want to learn the text. And so worry about the text. Don't worry about like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I preach law. Now I got to preach. I got to preach law first, then gospel second. All right. Because sometimes people will almost invert the text. I say, well, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can't. I got to preach law first, then the gospel. But this text seems to have gospel first, so I got to go back and find some law. No, 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 no. You don't. You don't change up the text to fit some preconceived preaching technique. I, 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 I reject that idea completely. All right, completely, completely, completely. Whatever the text gives us is what we have to deal with. All right. Let's see where they go with this. First comes Moses, then Christ. Otherwise, or uh, you could say, first John the Baptist, the forerunner, then Christ. And he says, at first people will just keep exclaiming, this is terrible. But presently, the preacher with shining eyes passes over to the gospel. And then the hearts of the people are cheered. They see the object of the preacher's preceding remarks. He wanted to make them see how awfully contaminated with sins they were and how sorely they need the gospel. Now, I think this is very important, not so much for preaching, but for you sitting in the pew who read and study your Bible. Whenever you come to a passage of the law, you need to feel the sternness of it. You need to feel the weight of it. You need to scream out, I am condemned. This is horrible. This is terrible. I cannot meet these demands. And then either As you continue to reading, when you come across the promises of the gospel, you will feel relieved and you will feel comfort and you will feel peace because you will hear that Christ has kept the law on your behalf. But in the evangelical mind, in the most most Christians' mind, they see the law and they start formulating, how am I going to do this? I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to try to do this and I'm going to try to do this. And you start trying to formulate a plan in order to obey it. But you're never going to obey it because you can't. Therefore, your only hope is in Christ's finished work. So, but you got to make sure when you see those law passages, you don't say, well, you know, as long as I'm trying. No, no, the passage doesn't say as long as you're trying. The passage state they, it wants absolute perfection and you need to be condemned by it because the more you are condemned by the law when you read it, first, it will help you be more honest with who you really are and it will humble you and it will keep you and protect you from self-righteousness. And Todd, that is so true, not just for, I mean, I know sometimes people think he's always assuming that the people in front of him are heathen. No, he's assuming that the people in front of him are simul justus et peccator. And the peccator, the same time saint and sinner, you've got a sinner inside of you, the old Adam, that will always need to be called to repentance. And Adam always wants to, you remember how when the preacher 
is preaching the law. He, the temptation for him is he wants to mitigate it so that it doesn't quite crush the people so badly. The exact same thing is what the old Adam always wants to do with the law. He wants to mitigate whatever he hears and say, well, you know, it's got to be good enough if I. When you preach the law in its full sternness, you simply take away that it's going to be good enough if I. You point out, no, it's not going to be good enough, not for him. And you cannot fix it. You cannot, by anything you do, fix it. That's really where he has to leave them, pinned down with the weight of the law upon them so that when the gospel comes along, it can be received for the joy that it is. And what's fascinating to me, Todd, is he doesn't say that just with sermons. He says, you pastors need to do this too when you're catechizing, when you're teaching the youth or new members, you do not mingle that gospel in there. When you explain the law, do not bring gospel elements into the demands of God. And he says, even little children have to pass through these experiences of anguish and terror in the presence of the law. In his great work on uh, the morphology of the Lutheran Confessions, And think about how your church probably teaches the kids the Ten Commandments. Your kids are probably taught, these are the Ten Commandments. There was a little song about the Ten Commandments. I forget how the song goes. But little kids sing this little song about the Ten Commandments. Like, I can go do it. I can 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 do it. Go do it. Hey, little Johnny, you learned the Ten Commandments. Now go home and do the Ten Commandments. Hey, little Johnny, you could, hey, do the Ten Commandments. And you taught, you taught, the young people are taught the Ten Commandments as if it's something they can achieve and something they can do. They cannot do, they need to feel the weight of, well, well, teacher, I can't do this. I keep failing. Oh, thank you. Well, let me tell you some good news. Christ kept them for you. Your hope is not in what you can do, but what Christ did. We don't teach the Ten Commandments that way. We teach the Ten Commandments like a little Johnny, you can go do it. A little Johnny may not even be saved, but hey, you can go do it. In fact, in many cases, we, there's a high probability that the little kids were teaching the Ten Commandments too. Clearly, they're not even probably regenerate. They're probably not even saved. And we're even teaching the lost kids that somehow they can go do these things. And then we teach the kids who are saved that somehow they can do these things. Nobody can do them. God's law condemns. It, it's not something we can do. Now, I know the fact that I even mentioned that will be considered apostate and controversial in the minds of many Christians, but you just keep teaching people they can keep the Ten Commandments, and I'm sorry, they cannot do so. They will fall short. They need to feel the weight of those commandments. They need to see what God is really demanding in those commandments, and you should be like, I, 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 I can't, I, I can't, I, I fall short, and feel the weight and the terror and the brokenness that comes from it. Gunnar Ehrlich called that the or erlebnis, I mean, the, the raw foundational experience of being naked before God. This is what the law does. It just strips away everything and leaves you there naked and bare. And this experience is fundamental to actually understanding anything about the joys of the gospel itself. <laughs> he goes on a little challengingly. He says, the reason why so many imagine that they can pass for really good Christians is because their parents reared them to be self-righteous Pharisees. They never made them aware of the fact that they are poor, miserable sinners. A person may have fallen into the most dreadful sins, 
But if he has been brought up properly, he says to himself when he hears the law preached, surely I am an awful sinner. A Pharisee who hears the same sermon may not repeat that confession, though he may have fallen into far greater sins. This is so important. And, and I would, it would be interesting if you, if you, if you got, I, I mean, you may go to a very good church with good doctrine, but get the kids together. Even get maybe some of the teenagers together or just walk around the church asking young kids and asking the teenagers, just ha- take a little clipboard and just walk around. Hey, do you know the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I know the Ten Commandments. My Sunday school teacher taught them. Oh, okay. Okay. What are some of the commandments? Da, da, da. Okay. Now, can you keep these commandments? Well, if I try really hard. Okay. Well, good. This church is heretical. Okay. Then go to the next person. Go to the next person. Now, if you were to teach those kids that they cannot do them, most likely you're going to get this. The phone's going to ring and it's going to be some parent going, how dare you teach my kids they can't keep the Ten Commandments? You know they can. And you're like, okay, well, good thing I go to a heretical church. The law condemns. The law exposes. The law breaks. The law destroys. It crumbles you. It convicts you. And it makes you run to the comfort of the gospel. We can never truly obey the law of God. You would think that would not be a revolutionary truth in 2023, but it is a revolutionary truth because Christians will adamantly disagree with you and they will say you can. And then when you point out you can't do it perfectly, well, well, okay, well, no, I can't do it perfectly, but I can keep. Wait a minute. Are you saying imperfect keeping of the law counts as keeping of the law because the law demands perfection? And then they will try to, they will, they will hem and haw and, and, um, 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 and talk in circles. Uh, but I'm telling you, it, it's they, because they've never truly been taught the proper distinction between law and gospel and how the law actually works. You'd be shocked. You would be shocked. How many people in your church don't understand this basic concept? Ouch bringing up little Pharisees who never are told that they actually are sinners. It's one of the reasons why I still love that in our churches we still have that confession of sins. You remember when a certain TV evangelist who is female and will not be named said very famously, I am not poor, I am not miserable, and I am not a sinner. You know, I mean, the the, the proper response to that is, well, God would disagree with you, but probably so would the people who live with you. Just go ask them. Uh, you know, th- this recognition that uh, we need the forgiveness of God in Christ is central and key to the law having done its work. He and within the Lutheran liturgy, at the you do a public confession of sin, just like you do in the Catholic Church. Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. I, I'm a miserable sinner. I don't have my Lutheran um, books here in front of me where I could read the confession from a Lutheran, uh, a Lutheran liturgy. I'll have to find it. I have it somewhere. Um, but um, yeah, it's very similar. And you know what? I think it's a good thing that in some ways every church should institute a public general confession of sin that we all stand before God, all of us as a congregation and say, Lord, forgive us for we are all sinners. In thought, 
in word and deed, by what we do and by what we leave undone. We do not fulfill you, your law. We fall short. And our only hope, our only comfort is in the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and kept the law for us. And by faith, his righteousness is imputed to us. That is our only hope. Like we need, we almost need that in every kind of church because it's a constant reminder that we're still sinners and that we sinned. It may be Sunday, but you were sinning. You were sinning Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And guess what? When you leave church Sunday, you're going to be sinning again because we're constantly, perpetually in some form of sin. And in the American church, in the evangelical world, that's almost considered anathema. It's like, no, we have superpower. We can do it. And we don't like to admit that maybe we can't. pulls out a rather lengthy quotation from Martin Luther on the words, you shall not kill. What insight does he find there? Luther's trying to show what Jesus does when he is unpacking the Sermon on the Mount. So you shall not kill. He says Christ takes up some of the Ten Commandments for the purpose of explaining them. I think he means them all properly. He shows that the Pharisees and scribes, when teaching the law, did not push their explanations and inculcation beyond the literal meaning of the commandments and made them applicable only to gross external acts. For instance, in the fifth commandment, which he introduces first, they considered no more than the word kill, or in our version, murder, which they interpreted to mean actual slaying. And they allowed the people to stick to the notion that nothing else is actually forbidden in this commandment. Moreover, in order to escape the charge of manslaughter for delivering a person to the magistrates to be condemned to death, as they delivered Christ to the pagan Pontius Pilate, they framed a petty pretense for keeping their own hands from being sullied with blood. They urged their ceremonial purity and sanctity to the point of refusing to enter the governor's palace and forcing Pilate against his will to kill Jesus, as you can read in St. John's Passion. Later, still pretending perfect purity and innocence, they even rebuked the apostles for preaching Christ and charged them with the intention of bringing this man's blood upon them. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What had they said? His blood be on us and on our children. That seems to be forgotten then. They meant to say, not we, but that heathen Pilate, he killed Christ. A similar trick is recorded regarding King Saul in 1 Samuel 18, verse 25. He was nursing a grudge against David, and he really wanted to kill him. But since he wished to pass himself off for a holy man, he planned to do the killing not with his own hand, but to send him against the Philistines, whom he hoped would slay him. Thus, his hand would be innocent of murder. Luther doesn't give the example there, but I mean, as soon as you bring up David, it also reminds you of what happened with uh, Uriah, right? David is surely the one who is guilty for Uriah's death, even though David did not fling the, uh, the sword that killed Uriah. He is the one who was killed at David's bidding because of what he commanded Joab to do, the way he commanded him to treat him. So it's deeper than just doing something externally with your hands. Walter comments, what the Jews accepted of the fifth commandment was the 
more literal and crass meaning of the terms, the teachers told the people, if you omit such and such acts, you will pass as such as have well complied with the fifth commandment. I should always mention, whenever we talk about the commandments, Lutherans have a numbering of the commandments that agrees pretty much with the Roman Catholic numbering, but the Orthodox and other Protestants have a different numbering. The Bible reveals that there are 10 commandments. It doesn't reveal how to divide them up. So this is the fifth commandment in the Lutheran reckoning, you shall not murder. The the teachers told the people, if you omit those acts, then you've complied with the fifth commandment. These famous doctors who make their boast of the law had emptied the law of its contents and had retained only the merest shell. Our modern rationalists are doing the same. Their aim is merely to preserve the reputation of probity in their lives, hence not to rush into abominable vices of which any decent citizen would have been ashamed. Ha! It was a different world, Todd. Upright conduct, too, is the sole object of their preaching. Even so-called Christian preachers are found to do this. So he stresses that this treatment of the, the commandment by just reducing it to external observance and not letting it penetrate to the heart, not letting it reflect on what's actually going on inside your heart and the hatred that may be there is gutting the commandment from what God gave it for. And I will argue Christians have been gutting the law forever, right? Hey, how do you know you saved? Well, here's this test. Now, compare yourself to this test. Well, wait a minute. If I compare myself to that test, which you're taking from the law, the law demands perfection. I'm not going to do this and say, well, well, no, no, no. It's not perfection as long as it's direction. No, no. The law demands perfection. If I compare myself to it in any way, shape or form, I cannot gut the law and reduce it to just some external act. I'm guilty. Listen, I know this is going to come as a shock to everyone, but let me just get it out of the way. I am a murderer. I am an adulterer. I am guilty. I am a sinner. Whether I've ever committed the physical act, I am guilty because of the internal thinking and desires and motivations of my own heart. What God requires for me with the command, thou shalt not kill, goes way beyond that. And it goes beyond not just physically killing someone. I can kill someone and my thinking and my desires and what I say, I can kill. And 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 when I, Jesus goes beyond, I'm not just not to kill my enemy. I am to love my enemy and to do good to my enemy. And one way or the other, I'm going to fall short of these commandments. If I even look at a woman with lust, I'm guilty. If I think of it in my mind, I'm guilty. Nobody wants to nobody wants to live with that reality that with the reality the law condemns us and and everyone and if I'm guilty of one point of the law I'm guilty of all of it. I'm in a perpetual state of guilt. That's why we have to keep the law in its full sternness. And then guess what? That doesn't mean oh I can do it, I can keep it. No, no, no. It means my only hope is in the one who did and can keep it and did for me perfectly and that is Jesus Christ. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest on this Monday, June the 26th. It's part six of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. On the other side, Luther proceeds, and there's a comparison between the Pharisees and the Papists. And that finishes this episode of our ongoing series on law and gospel. Now, what we're going to do is I'm going to stop this one. I'm going to upload it, and then immediately I'm going to turn around, 
and we're going to finish this so that it will be complete. And that's where tonight is uh, it's starting tonight. It's a Jeremiah marathon to the end of August. And so that's what we're going to do. So I want to finish this because if I don't, then it's going to be all delayed. So I just want to get everything nice and organized. But I want us to, but at the same time, I want to take as much time as necessary to cover this thesis. Again, thesis number six is, and I'm quoting from Walther. The word of God is not rightly divided when the law is not preached in its full sternness and the gospel uh, not in its full sweetness. When, on the contrary, gospel elements are mingled with the law and law elements with the gospel. And just, I would, I would really challenge you, if you're teaching your kids the commandments, or if you're, you go to a church, pay close attention to how they're teaching them. Because I guarantee it's going to be teaching them that they can do it. And all you're going to build, you know what you're going to create? Little Pharisees. Little self-righteous Pharisees. Little self-righteous Sadducees. And that's why many church kids are the most judgmental, condemning people on the face of the earth. They, they're, they almost are stuck up and they look down at everyone else. They think they're better than everyone else. They can't see their own sin. That's why many kinds of kids raised in a Christian home can't see. The, all they know is, well, I didn't get to do, I didn't do this and I didn't do this and I didn't do this and I do this. And then you know what? You may not have been out there doing those things, but you're just as big a sinner as the kids who were. All right. Once again, another episode where I make lots of friends and influence a large number of people. Okay. Every episode, this is the Theology Central podcast. With every episode, I lose another listener. Okay. That, that, that should be my tagline. Listen to the podcast that every time you listen, you are that much more committed and not listening ever again. All right. There we go. All right. Uh, we'll come right back and finish this up. You can email me in the meantime, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. We'll finish this in, well, shortly. Thanks for listening. God bless.